Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown's Match Day 33 recap podcast. I'm Sam Leverage and I'm joined by Matt Clark. How are you doing, Matt? I'm very well, thanks, Sam. It's It's been a pretty exhausting week with uh, plenty of things going on and all the action in La Liga, but we'll do our best to give you uh, a top recap of, of all that's happened. Yeah, indeed. A midweek recap after the weekend. I mean, it's felt like a bit non-stop, hasn't it? It certainly has, yeah. And we had the uh, the fabulous initiative uh, to help Ukraine on Tuesday as well, which went really well. And all the Spanish football contributors, um, content creators participated in that. So it was a really great, uh, fantastic initiative. So hopefully um, they raise a lot of money for the Ukrainians. Yeah, big shout out to Chris Marquez and the Giddy Cast guys who set that up. And I think they raised just over a thousand euros in the end. So uh, a great idea there. And now, should we dive into the, the action that we've been having Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night? Head first, let's go. All right, well, the big question, Matt. Real Madrid won 3-1 against Osasuna in Pamplona at El Salar. Have they won the league? I mean, not mathematically, but it's, it is just a question of when rather than if. I think we've kind of known that for quite some time now. The incredible comeback against Sevilla at the weekend was followed up by another impressive away performance. Uh, some rotation from Carlo Ancelotti. He's clearly thinking about the Manchester City game now. Uh, Modric was rested from the start. Kroos too. Uh, Vinicius as well got a lot of rest. Still started carrying Benzema, which was surprising for many. But um, yeah, in the end, no real issues yet. Of course, David Alaba did come off uh, at half-time with an injury. But um, uh, I don't think we know quite yet how bad that is. But that's kind of the only the only negative from a from an impressive 
away performance and they could have scored more. Benzema obviously had two penalties saved by Sergio Herrera. Uh, we'll come on to him later, I'm sure. But um, yeah, some good minutes for Manny Ceballos um, and all round job done. And and yeah, it, they were talking about potentially winning it this weekend if, if Barca drop points in consecutive matches, but that won't happen. So it's a question of will it be uh, against Espanyol or will it be at the Wanda Metropolitano? Yeah, let's hope it's not the latter, at least from my point of view. But yeah, I think David Alaba, I think Carlo Ancelotti spoke after the game, so there wasn't anything too serious. It was just a precautionary measure. So Real Madrid fans will be with one eye on Manchester City already. Well, two eyes on Manchester City at that first leg already now. Um, yep. And they'll be counting on him and, and they'll definitely need that. So let's take a look at the only team... Now, I think I'm right in saying that, Anna, the only team who could deny Real Madrid the title, and that's Barcelona. They were in action on Thursday night and in San Sebastián, a 1-0 win, which is pretty impressive. I mean, Real Sociedad are very, very difficult to beat in San Sebastián, aren't they? Yeah, they hadn't lost a game at home uh, in the league or even conceded a goal at home in the league since December, and that was against Villarreal. So, um yeah, they've, they've been on a great run at home, just grinding out the wins. Even without Ayathabal, they've been getting some good results and they've been solidifying their position in the top six. Um, but yeah, th- this game, they they performed well, Real Sociedad. They had more possession than Barca, which is quite a rare thing. Um, and they knocked on the door quite a lot. Testegen was pretty pretty impressive. Clement Langley had to come on as a sub and, and make a real good cameo performance from him, which a lot of Barca fans were quite surprised to see and, and delighted to see. Um, but yeah, in the end, it was an early goal that won it and it was a Bamiyang once again back in the side. Uh, some good work, a great ball over the top from Gavi. Ferran tries to, to beat the keeper and it, it kind of falls to a Bamiyang who's in a great position at the back post just to nod it in the net. Uh, another headed goal from Barca, 16 now, uh, which is, I think, their joint record. And then let's take a quick look across the other teams up there at the top of La Liga, Sevilla. We'll dive into a bit more detail on their win over Levante a little later to um, part of the relegation scrap, but a 3-2 win for them, which was a big reaction from that game against, um, against Real Madrid on the weekend. Um, then a couple more teams in that race for, for the European places. One of those was Atletico Madrid, um, a chance to, to kind of make up some ground. And they were tied to a nil-nil draw with Granada. We'll hear the Granada point of view from that a little later on in the podcast as well. But what did you make of Atletico, Matt? It's just a recurring problem this season against the bottom kind of four or five teams. I think they've only beaten, uh, of those teams at the bottom, they've only beaten uh, Alaves once and Cadiz twice. Um, and, and the rest have been either drawn or defeats. So I think Levante have taken four points from them. Alaves have beaten them uh, at Mendizorosa. And, uh, and yeah, Granada have taken four points off them as well, uh, as have Mallorca. Uh, Mallorca have done the double over them, in fact. So, yeah, it's been a real Achilles heel for Simeone's side. And, you know, you take ev- not even all of those games. If you if you just put those down as wins, that's already at least 10-plus points you can add to Atleti. And that's where the title has been lost. And, of course, this was the game that they mathematically lost options to, to win the league. Um, we all knew that was going to happen anyway. But this was official, so their reign as champions is over. Come on, man. Um, rubbing salt into the wounds now. <laughs> I'll stop now. But um, no, yeah. like, like you say, I mean, 19 points they've dropped against the bottom five. I think the only team from the bottom five that they've beaten in both games is Cadiz. Yeah. Um, I mean, 19 points. They have 
all 19 of those points and they're two points clear of Real Madrid at the top of La Liga. And... That's the difference, yeah. And they've normally been so reliable. Under Simeone against the, you know, against promoted sides, against teams at the bottom, they're normally so reliable, you know, just getting the job done in those games. But um, yeah, it's it's a real grind. And Atleti's run of six or seven straight wins looks a quite a long way away now. Um, obviously, the Manchester City tie took a lot out of them physically, mentally, emotionally. But um, they now need to just kind of switch gear and, and really focus on the final few games to make sure that they are top four because it would be a, a calamity if they missed out, I'd say. Um, and, and they'll have to do it without Jao Felix, who's, who's out injured now for the rest of the season, which is a big blow. Um, but they'll have to rely on the likes of, uh, of Correa and Gunha. Uh, Griezmann's on his longest streak without scoring for Atleti, which is a concern. Um, the return has kind of been mixed, I'd say. Obviously, you've had a more... Uh, impassioned take on that as an Atleti socio, but um, I think I think the reaction is mixed at best um, with Griezmann. I don't yeah, know. If, uh... I mean, Griezmann is is a strange one because I see exactly why Diego Simeone values him, why he's such an important part of his setup, his team, because he's the perfect Diego Simeone player. He's a guy who won't, who doesn't mind dropping to play central midfield or to play on the right of midfield even though he's a superstar striker and he does put in the hard work on the graft and and he clearly kind of gets on very well with players in the squad and is very happy at Aleti and so on. But he's big money, a big transfer fee, which maybe is, is not as big as it could have been in the past, but is still a big fee. And his goals return just hasn't been that good. I mean, I think he's on three goals in La Liga this season. I mean, he's... Come on, Antoine Griezmann, you need to be doing better than that. So it is a, a difficult one to, to discuss. But, I mean, let's just keep an eye over the other teams then in that race because, I mean, the race for fourth, Real Sociedad, I mean, we saw that they lost to Barcelona and another blank at home is not what they'll be hoping for. But perhaps the biggest shock of the weekend, not even the weekend, the midweek, sorry, I'm so used to saying the weekend, um, came in Seville, Real Betis. Uh, obviously, the two Copa del Rey finalists were both in action. Villarreal beat Valencia 2 0. Obviously, last rested quite a few players for Valencia. But Betis Manuel Pellegrini went with a very strong team, pretty much first choice, and they lost to Elche. Yeah. Um, one of those kind of gambles that probably hasn't paid off. Well, definitely hasn't paid off. I mean, you look at Valencia, they made nine changes and kind of said to Villarreal, go on, then you can have three points, even though it's a, a local derby. Um, Bordelas obviously knows the importance of, of the Copa. And of course, Pellegrini knows that too. But he also, with that team selection, you know, Canales Fekir started, you have to think that he was still thinking there's a good chance we could still grab fourth. And for whatever reason, they just, obviously mentally, their heads were probably on, on the cup final and just couldn't perform as we know they, they can do. And yeah, Elche were, were resolute, uh, carried their own threat and, and scored the late goal to, to kind of snatch the win. And, and they were good value for it. Um, and yeah, for Betis, it's a real hammer blow for their top four hopes. Um, so now you'd, you'd say that, uh, you know, their season will be judged rightly or wrongly. It will be judged now on that final. Yeah, all to play for this weekend. Stay tuned. We will have a podcast out at the weekend discussing the Copa del Rey final. But yeah, Betis have so much more to play for and their team selection showed that. I mean, they're four points behind Atleti. But with Atleti dropping two points, this was a real opportunity to make up some ground and and so on. And Real Sociedad, I'm sure, are feeling exactly the same. They could have 
leapfrogged Betis after their defeat on Tuesday night. But let's hit the other side of that game. Let's talk to our friend Keith, the Elche fan, biggest Elche fan that we know of. And Matt, you spoke to him to get the side of the point of view from Elche. And I mean, this was the game that pretty much secured their survival. Yes, I mean, yeah, back-to-back wins. Like I say, two clean sheets in a row. Um, a great way for Francisco to celebrate his 100th La Liga match in, as a coach. Um, so, yeah, let's let's hear from Keith. And, and he was understandably buoyant. So let's get stuck straight into that one. I'm here with Keith Farnham, Ireland's number one Elche fan, and he's delighted, I'm sure, after Elche's massive 1-0 win at the Veneto Viamarine. Welcome aboard, Keith. How are you feeling after that momentous victory? Uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely over the moon. Uh, I said it at the start of the season, I said, uh, I think we'll stay up. Kind of a bit of blind hope, but uh, <laughs> it looks like we're very close to actually doing it now, and uh, I couldn't be happier, to be honest with you. Yeah, back-to-back wins, of course, with two clean sheets, the 3-0 win and the massive six-pointer against Mallorca at home, and then this 1-0 victory away at Betis. You're now eight points clear of the drop. Surely that's safe now, no? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think we're safe. Um, I mean, the, the win over Mallorca, after that, I was, I was thinking, we just need to get another win on the board. We have a couple of home games, and I was thinking, we, we can do that in one of those. Um, but to go and do it the next game, especially away to Real Betis, who have been utterly incredible this season and fair play to them, but to go and get that win away to them is just I, I just I just think it's a, it's a perfect way to show how much uh, fight and determination and upsetting the odds that have done this season. Absolutely, and and we saw the team sheets coming in and we saw Valencia had rotated a lot for their game. But Betis they they still had a lot of their big hitters in the team ahead of the cup final and and we're thinking, okay, they're very serious about going for this top four spot. But uh, no, Elche deserved, fully deserved to get a result. And yeah, nicking that goal at the end from Tete Morente. Um, and they celebrated in the changing rooms wildly, as, as you can expect. Um, just a, a magnificent performance and result. Honestly, you were, you were on the pod on the last day of last season, I remember. And you were ecstatic that Elche had stayed up on the final day. And then, of course, when, when Escobar gets sacked and, and Francisco comes in, did you honestly think it would be this kind of... Dare I say simple for them? Um, yeah. Obviously, last season I was ecstatic. It was amazing, and this season I think, I think obviously my love for Fran Escriba has been um, it's been communicated to a lot of people a lot of times. Obviously, I I hold a lot of love for that man, and when he was sacked, I honestly thought, I don't know how we're gonna stay up because I I didn't think anyone else knew the club well enough and could get as much as he had got out of these players. Let's face it, we have several very good players, but a lot of players that are segunda-level players that he was getting a lot out of. But Francisco's come in and he's just absolutely, just completely turned us around. Like The fact that we are 13th or 8 points clear of the relegation zone, it's just, it's it's like what Escriba was doing with us before the relegations happened six or seven years ago. That's mm. that's what it feels like, and I think we've finally gotten back to that spot. And it's, uh, yeah, well, it's it has been done in, a, in an easy enough way. Obviously, not easy, but 
compared to what we thought would happen, which is uh, just even better. Yeah, it doesn't look like there'll be any dogfight towards the end for Elche fans. Uh, so who have been the key players? We saw Fidel Chavez contributing once again in, in the Mallorca game and, of course, Edgar Badia performing very well against Betis. Who would you say have been the kind of standout players for Elche in this, in this good run of form? Well, in, in these last two games, I think what has to be remembered is the fact that we've been missing Lucas Boyer, who many, many would agree with me when I say, especially people looking from the outside in, there's been rumours linking him to Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. But the fact that we've done it without him in the last couple of games, I think shows that the likes of Fidel, who who have, who has always been a very good player for us and I've I've always loved him, I think Verdu coming back into the team really showed his leadership, obviously, but he had a brilliant game against uh, Real Betis. I think just in general, though, the the core of the squad has just been very good. Johan Mojica obviously scored that brilliant goal against Mallorca, and I just think we've got a we've got a team full of players who are willing to willing to die for the badge, and uh, we've got a bench full of players that are also willing to do the same. You see, Gumbau coming in for Mascarel, you know. Big ass comes in. He hasn't been a regular starter a lot of the time, and I just think, uh, I just think we've we've got that bit of depth now that has may, maybe been the difference in keeping us up. Yeah, lots of quality in that side. Um, perhaps a little bit underrated by many who watch La Liga. It's fair to say, um, not always the the most glamorous name of of a club, even down the bottom, but um, certainly doing their best to uh, to stay in the division and as we've said, quite comfortably. So so what's the target now then? Are they going to go for a top half finish, dare I say? They're only a few points off 10th. Um, is that possible, or are the players kind of going to perhaps be on the beach for the last few weeks? Um, I, I've, I've actually thought uh, quite a bit about this. I was thinking, do I expect anything going into these last few games? But actually, I, I kind of do, because there's a lot of players in our team that are come to the end of contracts or maybe we'll have one year ne- left next year that obviously will want to be tied down either by Elche or be- get moved to a better club and mm. that's that's fair enough I, I get we, we don't have the financial power to keep all the players that have immense quality at the club I get that but a lot of players are, are playing playing for a place you look at Tete Morente comes off the bench and obviously gets the winning goal against Real Betis uh, Hassan, obviously local lad, he he's still he's still playing very well. Peremia's coming to the end of a contract. Uh, a lot of rumours linking him to Valencia. I I'd love him to stay, but again, other players looking to come in and maybe take his place, or him maybe looking for Elche to give him a, a bumper contract. So mm. I, I I expect something from the last few games. Obviously, maybe not full throttle from all the team, but hopefully we'll get another couple of good results and end the season on a high. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that sounds like a good place to finish. Uh, another fantastic result for Elche, as we said, beating Betis 1-0. And they look pretty much safe for another season in La Liga. Thanks for talking to us, Keith. Always great to have you on the pod. Thanks, Emilio. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Keith. Great to hear some insight there on Elche and a huge achievement from Francisco since he's come in. And Elche will definitely be enjoying these last few weeks of the season. So stay tuned as we'll be delving deeper into the relegation fight and all of those teams who are still stuck right in there. So be back with you shortly, just after this break.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdowns Match Day 33 recap podcast. Undoubtedly one of the biggest headlines of the week, especially down at the bottom of La Liga, has come from Granada. They started the week in 16th, clear of the relegation zone, then decided to change things up and brought in Aitor Goranka as their new coach. They had previously Ruben Torrecillo, who was the interim coach until the after the, the dismissal of Robert Moreno. In came Goranka. An impressive point against Atletico Madrid, and somehow they end the midweek match day in the relegation zone in 18th. So let's hear from Matt as he spoke to Heath Chester's all about that tie and exactly what went on on there. Heath, um, welcome back on the show. It's been another dramatic week, hasn't it? Uh, I don't think there's ever a dull moment in Granada uh, in the 17 odd years that I've been following them um, all the way up from the, the dungeon divisions. The, there's never a dull moment here in Granada. Um, you know, it's, it's almost a year ago to the day uh, that Granada were playing against Manchester United in the Europa League quarterfinals uh, and everything was going swimmingly um, and everything's changed drastically since then. And, and it, it had the same sort of image. Uh, as the season when the Chinese owners first arrived, um, made drastic changes and Granada proceeded to go down. This time, however, um, with the, the arrival out of the blue of Eita Karanka, um, some fans are saying hopefully it's not another Tony Adams situation um, where, you know, feeling sorry for Tony Adams, he, he was on a hide into nothing when he took charge of the team and at least he stepped up and took charge of the team that was going down uh, that season. But um, this time around, after 24 hours earlier, saying that uh, Torresia was fully backed by the board and he would carry on and he would take the helm against Atleti and then the following day, Ita Karanka arrives. Um, as you say, it doesn't really say much about the leadership at the club. Um, I've, I've mentioned in the past um, how Patricia Rodriguez uh, was appointed as the, the director general and she appointed Robert Moreno at the start of the season before 
Pepoad had even been confirmed as sporting director, um, who immediately arrived with his own recommendations, as you can imagine, because that's his job. Um, but the contract with Robert Moreno had already been signed. Um, there's also another person, Sophia Yang, who's not very popular with the fans because she was uh, a big hand in when everything went wrong the first time around uh, when the Chinese ownership arrived. And now she's in a position of power, if you like, uh, again, having had some sort of personal fallout or vendetta with, with Antonio Monterubio, the former director general. And hey, presto, things are going wrong again. Um, but it's it's not really a way to run a club because they have to get the final decisions always from the Chinese ownership, from Rentao Yi and DDMC, his company, in China. Um, and trying to sort of telemanage things from China, it just isn't working. He wanted to set up a committee. He didn't want to have a club president. He didn't want himself to be club president and sort of like the, the capitalist idea. Um, he wanted everything done by committee and group decisions and this, that and the other. And it just doesn't work um, in football. You've got to have structure. Um, and, and I just feel sorry for, for Pep Boado in a way, because although he's vastly experienced in scouting um, from Barcelona, he's never been a sporting director. Uh, yeah. And as well as that, a sporting director should be making those sort of decisions, hiring and firing, uh, recruiting players. And it just doesn't seem to be happening. Um, but hopefully, with the arrival of, of Karanka, uh, they'll give him the responsibility he needs. And they'll, they'll, let, they'll let him run things. And he signed a contract that if they stay up, he'll stay for another season. So fingers crossed. Uh, because he seems to have the right sort of personality about him um, that he can influence the players and get better results. So, as I say, fingers crossed and hopefully that comes. Yeah, speaking of structure, on the pitch at least, it was a very encouraging start with that 0-0 draw at the Wanda Metropolitano. What did he do differently from his predecessors that enabled Granada to have that solid foundation? Well, in, in his own words, uh, he said the first thing he did, obviously, with little time to prepare much tactically, um, he literally filled the players with confidence because he could see that the, the confidence was rock bottom uh, amongst the players. And the qualities there in the squad, that they shouldn't be where they are in, in, in La Liga. Um, because he said, you know, you, you were playing in the quarterfinals of the Champions League a year ago, and, and look where you are now. How's that happened? Yeah. You've got the quality. Um, go out there and, and show it, you know, without any fears. Uh, and that was basically his his, his first steps. Uh, he said, obviously, after the draw against uh, Atleti, that if he carries on focusing on morale building, then they're not going to win against Celta Vigo. He's got to start implanting his, his tactical ideas and his preferences. We've seen a little bit of that because uh, towards the end of his reign, uh, Moreno was using three central defenders and Torosia continued doing that and it didn't work. Um, and instead of literally throwing numbers and bodies uh, at the back to try and protect uh, Maxi's goal, um, I think it just needed better organisation. And I think he's been able to do that quite quickly, uh, Karanka. So hopefully we carry on with that. Because, I mean, personally, I think with the squad that Granada have got, they're better with four at the back um, and with the midfield and attacking options playing a 4-2-3-1 system, I think suits the squad better. So hopefully that'll be 
uh, how how things go forward for Granada from now on. Yeah. Although as things stand, they are in the bottom three, um, only one point behind Cadiz, um, but it is getting very tight there with with Rio Mallorca also in the mix. So do you think that this this uh, appointment will do you think Karanka will have the time and uh, will have the the acumen to to implement his ideas and make sure Granada get over that dotted line and stay up? Well, I think it's with the fixtures we've got left. I mean, there's some tough fixtures to come, uh, and the biggest shame is that the, especially the home games and, and games against direct rivals over the last few weeks, that Granada haven't made the most of those, uh, getting two points from a possible twelve against direct rivals, um, because literally they could have been well clear of the relegation zone now, uh, and not looking over the shoulder. Uh, now they're looking ahead at those that have, have crept above them because yeah. of the wasted opportunities. Um, but I still think it's it's very much in Granada's control. I think the battle is that tight down amongst that group that there's, there's enough time, there's enough results that can go favourably for Granada from, from other teams. Um, and I think if, if Karanka has got the confidence back amongst the players, and gets things a bit more organised defensively, as we saw glimpses of against Atleti, then I think it's still very much in their control. Um, but I've, I've seen this situation before. Um, most often than not, Granada tended to sort of just creep over the finish line or um, achieve safety by goal difference or by a point um, when... Um, before the Chinese owners arrived um, and since the Chinese owners arrived I think the problem is is that they organizationally they're not prepared for a relegation battle and they certainly weren't expecting it this season mm. um, but I think if, if Karanka um, can build on on what the team achieved at the Wanda then it, it does inspire a bit more confidence going forward Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll see what, what comes for Granada in the remaining five matches of the season. 15 points to play for, like you say, some tough fixtures in there, but uh, they'll certainly believe they can still get out of it under new stewardship with Aitor uh, Karanka, of course. Well, thanks Thank very much, very as much, always, Steve for your time, Matt, as well. Uh, we'll see how the world goes for the rest of From the season. Granada, thanks again. One of Take the care. loveliest no places problem. in Spain. It would be a real shame if they aren't around in La Liga next season, even just for the away days. Another very interesting away day, and from a team that did climb out of the relegation zone at Granada's expense, Matt Mallorca, a real relegation six-pointer up against Alaves. Alaves, who beat Rayo last weekend, so came into this one on a high. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this 2-1 win for Mallorca? Yeah, I mean, the, the fortunes just are so contrasting almost almost by game to game. I mean, Mallorca were pretty abject against Elche, and you know, fans are saying, well, this is it, we're, we're doomed. Um, Aguirre is not going to be able to turn things around. And then, and of course, as you say, Alaves were coming in, coming in strong um, under their new coach, Julio Velasquez. But uh, Mallorca were pretty good in this game. They came out on the front foot. Alaves had a goal disallowed early. And then pretty much straight after, Abdon Prats was really alive in the box to, to, to finish on a set piece. And then, uh, and then Vedat Muriki, uh, arguably one of the most underrated signings of January. Um, we also talk about obviously Abamyang and, and Borja Mayoral, but oh, Mariki's been, yeah, of course, yes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but um, 
as for Mariki, he's been fantastic. They call him the pirate. And uh, yeah, he's, he's really been um, throwing some cannons in there and, and getting some big uh, cannonballs from Mallorca. Uh, and they needed it most because that ended up being the winning goal because uh, Alaves got one back in the second half and made it a really nervy finish. Um, but they got over the line. And as you say, big three points to, to climb back out of the bottom three. Um, and, and yeah, it's really hard because you think all of these teams at various points you've looked at and said, yeah, they, they're going to climb out of it or no, they look in trouble, they look doomed. But then they keep throwing out these results, which just perplex us week to week. We probably sound like we're contradicting ourselves every other weekend here. But um, Mallorca's home form is going to be crucial because that is where they can get the results. Um, they're not the greatest travellers, but that home form is is where it's going to be key. Um, so, yeah, if they can have a few more results like this one, that will definitely give them a fighting chance of staying up. Yeah, flying across the islands and the Valerics is never an easy easy journey to make. But Matt, a little bit on, on Alaves and they're on 25 points, bottom of La Liga and now six points from safety with five games to go. The exact same situation as Levante, who suffered a 3-2 defeat to Sevilla. Jose Luis Morales, the captain, el comandante, in tears at the end of the match after he missed a penalty. I mean, is it definite now that we can say goodbye to Alaves and Levante or do they still have some life left in them? I mean, I still wouldn't I still wouldn't rule them out. I mean, even in this game, Levante just kept fighting away and obviously they had a massive chance to draw level 2-2 with Sevilla, which would have been in keeping with Sevilla's recent away form. But uh, of course, Morales missed it. Um, then Sevilla get the 3-1 from Kunde. You think, yeah, that's it, game over. But they, they show enormous resilience yet again to kind of say no we're not dead yet we're coming again and a fantastic counter-attack again started by Morales he, he really does do pretty much everything in this team he sets up Soldado whose return has been important he's scored in back-to-back games now which is important given the the injury to Roger uh, having Soldado around will will help them in attacking sense um so yeah it's 3-2 and it's a crazy finish because they're throwing everything at it set pieces uh keepers coming up uh, you genuinely thought it could end 3-3, just like it did against Real Madrid at the Ciutat. So I really would never rule Levante out because they are they guarantee that you're going to have goals in the game. The two games with Sevilla, for example, 5-3 in the first half of the season and, and 3-2 to, uh, in this round. It's just incredible to, to watch Levante. I think every neutral uh, would want them to stay up ahead of pretty much any other side in that bottom scrap because they're so entertaining. They, they always play well against the big sides. And yeah, they've just got so many likable characters. I mean, I mean, I'd defy anyone to not be sad watching Morales at the end of that game. I mean, all the Sevilla players were comforting him as well. Navas was there and, and Rakitic, who put a lovely message out on social media too. And uh, yeah, you could see he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, very similar to Thiago Aspas a few seasons ago when he missed uh, a penalty for Celta and they were right in the, in the relegation scrap. And of course, he, he did pull them out himself, but... Uh, whether Morales can, it's it's a tougher task for sure because they are they are six points adrift, like you say, with five okay. games left. But never say never. Yeah, and I mean, you said there who could be who could not be sad watching those scenes. And I think a few Valencia fans might have something to say there. But true, true. Yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't it wasn't easy viewing, was it, to see him so clearly devastated? But let's look at somebody who might be feeling a little bit more positive than they were when the week started. I mean, Gadith played Barcelona on Monday night, Athletic Club on Thursday night, 
at home. If we had to predict one of those games that they would win, I think we would have all <laughs> said the second one, but it wasn't that way around. It was a 1-0 win at Camp Nou, very impressive, very defensively strong. And then the first half against Athletic, they fell apart and were 3-0 down at half-time. So, I mean, Cali did manage to fight back to 3-2, but it was too little too late. They remain outside of the relegation places as things stand, but only just only one point in it ahead of Granada. I mean, how do we feel about Cadiz and their chances? I mean, they're just inconsistent, aren't they? They are. I, what I will say is that I think the first half of this game they had a massive hangover from the camp now. I mean, it was a, a brilliant result for them. Unbeaten in four games against Barca. Um, and to win there for the first time is, is a remarkable achievement. Um, and to come from Lucas Pérez, who, who had hardly featured, let alone scored, was, was even more surprising. But um, yeah, the first half here, only took three minutes for Raul Garcia to, to put Athletic ahead. And then it was two and three before you, you know you could even blink. And uh, you really feared for them. Um, but they showed a lot of resolve second half, as you say, to come back to 3-2. Uh, that was obviously a tense finish too, just like Sevilla Levante. But uh, I must I must say, I Sergio's done a fantastic job, but I do think Cadiz will still go down. I, I do. Um, because the fixtures. They still have to play Real Madrid, Sevilla and Real Sociedad in the final five. They've only got Elche and Alaves on the, Alaves on the final day. By that point, Alaves could be already down. Um, so, you know, teams tend to play with freedom if that happens. So that, that's going to be a, a potentially a do or die for Cadiz on that final day. But uh, as I say, if, if Granada can get some points, uh, Mallorca, etc., it, it could already be out over for Cadiz as well. We saw something incredible in this match, though, which was that Rayo Vallecano won their first win in 2022 and Hitafe won an away game for the first time this season. That's right, 33 games played and it's their first away win of the season. And I'm not sure anybody quite saw that coming, did they? No, absolutely not. And it's been the theme for this midweek because we had seven away wins um, of the 10 games, which is a joint record in La Liga. And yeah, Rio and Hatafe are two of the teams you would never have put any money on to win away from home. I mean, they were going Rio were going to Espanyol. Um, Espanyol are very strong at home. They've taken the majority of their points there. And, you know, RDT's in, in good form. And you think, yeah, Rio might get a draw there, but they're not going to win. And as for Hatafe, yeah, you think, yeah, there's there's no way they can kind of go to Celta and 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 win. But again, both were relatively, I mean. I must say, I thought Espanyol would come back harder in the second half, but both were kind of relatively comfortable in the end. Um, and important victories, because Rio, after that incredible first half of the season, I see you've got your Rio hoodie on this now, just in case uh, you can't, obviously you can't see, but Sam is sporting his Rio hoodie proudly. Um, yeah, after their incredible first half of the season, Champions League places at the turn of the year, uh, and then they haven't won in the Liga since. Um, and they were just slipping all the way down and you just worried that they would be the team that would just kind of get sucked in right at the end and just drop into the bottom three. But no, they've they've found that win and that gives them breathing space. Um, and yeah, you'd like to think that, that Raya will just about get over the line. And Hitafe similar. Again, Kike sanchez Flores done a magnificent job there because Hitafe, remember, were absolutely dead and buried at the start of the season. Uh, and then Michel and Kike came in and said, right, well, let's just start from here and We'll see what we can do and they've they've haven't been in the relegation zone for a long time now and they've slipped a little recently but this win will help them get back on track exactly that 
So, Matt, I think it's that time of the week. It's time to talk about our match day MVP, our midweek match day MVP. So I'll hand it over to you first up. Who is your first pick? I'm going to have to go with Borja Mayoral. Um, we've, we've spoken so much about, you know, January signings and Aubameyang's impact, but Borja Mayoral is, is now also, he's, he's the second top scorer of those January signings and they've been vital goals for Etafe. I know your love affair with Enes now knows no bounds, but I think the, the introduction of a partner for him has been really helpful in, in allowing him to be able to play that more free role. Um, because before that, as you say, Enes now had struggled to score in the first half of the season. It took him until, what was it, match day 10 or so to score. Um, but he's been free scoring ever since and that, that pair really works well together. Uh, and yeah, this doblete for, for Borja Maradal. He loves playing against Celta as well, by the way. Especially at Balaedos, curiously. Um, another brace. And yeah, the first away win for Atafe of the season. So very deserving of a place, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a big step up in quality from Sandro and Aminez to, to Borja Maradal. My first pick is going to be Sergio Herrera, the Osasuna goalkeeper. I mean... Yeah, okay. It might seem it sounds strange to choose an MVP of a goalkeeper when his team have conceded three goals. But Sergio Herrera saved two penalties and was they were both impressive stops. I mean, Karim Benzema took both penalties and in both of them, I mean, these weren't bad penalties. These weren't poorly taken at all in any way, shape or form. And what's really interesting was the mind games from Herrera. I mean, he was pointing one way and the other. For the second penalty, he pointed the other way, but then dived the same way, and Benzema put it in the exact same spot. And Herrera is just one of those goalkeepers who's capable of the sublime, the sublime, but capable of the disastrous as well. But he's just one of those goalkeepers that I love to watch because you know that he's going to do something. You're not sure what it's going to be. You're not sure if it's going to be good, bad, or or what, but he will do something interesting. And he has been really reliable for us as soon as I remember it was only... A little over a year ago, I think, maybe two years now, that he came in as a substitute because of an injury to the to Osasuna's first choice goalkeeper, and that's pretty much his La Liga debut. And now I think he's an undisputed first choice for Osasuna as they push for Europe. So he's he's made some real progress. Absolutely, yeah. Um, speaking of, well, I mean, I'm going to go for someone else from the same game, um, and it's it's Danny Ceballos. It was his first start for Real Madrid in three years uh, in any competition. And he looked like he'd never been away, to be fair. He, he played really well. Everyone was obviously talking about the rotation options from, from Carlo, talking about Fede Valverde, Eduardo Camavinga. But Danny Ceballos just reminded everyone that he's still got some quality too, and he can, he can play a part as a squad player. Of course, I'm sure he'd like to play a lot more regularly, and his, his talent deserves that. And he may well get the move in the summer, but... This performance just reminded everybody of, of the quality he has and the the professionalism he showed to, um, you know, to having not played hardly at all, not, not started, as I say, for, for three years, to come in and, and produce an impressive performance. At, at what was a tough game, also sooner at home, you know, with their fans behind them, it's a tough place to go for any side. Madrid didn't win there last year. Um, but yeah, he, he was a impressive presence in the middle of the park and um, helped dictate the tempo for Madrid and just help them get that control in those moments when Osasuna were, were trying to obviously impose their own style. Yeah, just have to hope that Manuel Pellegrino is watching and, and hoping of taking him back to Betis. I think that would be the interesting 
move in the summer to keep an eye out for. Speaking of summer signings, possibly one of the best in La Liga. I think the fourth MVP candidate has to be Anat Danjuma. I mean, another brace for Villarreal. And his goal tally is, is pretty impressive. I mean, he's up to 10 goals in La Liga now. I mean, this is a guy who was started the season in the championship in the second tier in England and has really settled in so quickly as part of Unai Emery's team. And what I find interesting with him is his stats with, with XG because a lot of the time with strikers, you see that they're either way overperforming or way underperforming their XG. But Dan Juma is just consistent. I mean, again, in this game, his XG was 1.84 and he scored two goals. I mean, he is a player who the chances he gets, he will convert pretty much what the XG says. And and this was, again, the case there. I mean, a penalty early on, which kind of got the the game going just 10 minutes in. And then seven minutes later, he followed it up with a second. And from that point on, Villarreal could just cruise through. That's exactly what they need with, with no game at the weekend and then a Champions League semi-final next week. Arnaut Dan Jumas kind of sent Liverpool a warning shot of what they're capable of up against Valencia. So a pretty impressive performance from him, I'd say. And so... Time to wrap us up here, Matt. Let's go with your moment of the week. What was your moment of the week? I'm going to go back to, to Borja Mayoral um, and Hitafe. That that second goal to effectively clinch the game. And like like you say, there's there's been many runs of of no away wins in this in this season. I mean, Levante went on a winless run for a long time, and Rayo have been on a winless run too. But um, Hitafe to not win away from home for an entire year, pretty much. And and Kike himself, even in his first spell, I don't think he won too many away matches with Hatafe then either. So it's been something that's very hard for them to overcome. But uh, Borja Mayoral very much was able to deliver that for them this week. Who who have you? What is your moment, Sam, to finish this off? Well, I'm going to go with two very quickly. One of them was the final whistle of Atletico Granada because it was just absolutely terrible. And the other one is the Rayo and their win. I mean, Rayo and, and Sergi Guardiola goal, but more the final whistle and, and getting that win. I think Rayo was so good in the first half of the season and then they've been trying to see it out and to get results. And they've had games where they have been leading or they have been dominating. They just haven't been able to turn it into points. And for them to get that, I think they deserve to stay up more than anybody else in the, that bottom kind of teams that are in contention. So it was great to see Raya kind of finally arrest that run of awful results and, and get back to winning ways. So really good to see that result. Yeah. But definitely. let's go out then with that moment that you mentioned, Borja Mayoral and his, his goal for Atafe, the second one to, to see all the winners at Celta Vigo. And make sure that you stay tuned, listeners. This week, we do have the Copa del Rey final coming up at the weekend. We've got a piece just out on our website on Joaquin, the Real Betis captain legend, and what this weekend could mean to him could be the, the pinnacle of his career to win the Copa del Rey back at Betis, just as he did all those years ago. And we'll also have plenty more content and so on coming up. We'll have a podcast on the Copa del Rey final, and then we'll also be very busy ahead of the Champions League semi-finals next week. Two Spanish sides in action, Real Madrid and Villarreal, up against two English sides, Manchester City and Liverpool. So plenty to talk about. And then we will be back again where the league could be decided next weekend should results go Real Madrid's way. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening and enjoy just a moment of pure Borja Mayoral.
en Vigo, Santi. ¡Gol del Getafe! ¡Gol! ¡De Borjita Mayoral para escapar del descenso! So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.